Today's reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 to 11. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's just pray. I thank you, Lord, for Vic, and I lift him to you now, Lord, and ask that you anoint him now to speak your word of truth and life. We ask Holy Spirit fire to fall with signs and miracles following. As we sang earlier, Lord, we want to be changed in the presence of a holy God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for the songs. I think you included most of my favorites. And uh, what a great song for a preacher to hear and sing before he comes up to preach. Do it again. Okay, good morning all. It's the celebration of the day of Pentecost. We should be cheering. (laughs) If I just said we were celebrating, I think I might go on to the other mic. Yeah. Okay, if, um, if we were celebrating the fact that my football team won the Champions League. They did, by the way. <laughs> um, we would be kind of cheering, wouldn't we? Some people would be almost ecstatic. Yeah, it's the day of Pentecost. What are we celebrating, guys? I think for some people... Um, I want to just hit Pentecost before I get onto the scripture because I think it's so vitally important. This scripture comes out of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost is the day the gift was given. The gift. The gift above all gifts. The day of Pentecost was promised in advance and it was the day the spirit was poured out on all flesh. Who's flesh in here? 
Okay, that means all of us. From that day onwards, the Holy Spirit was available to and resting in every single one of us. Don't believe the naysayers who tell you that it only came to 12 people. It's a load of nonsense. There were 120 in the room at the time, we believe. The, the flames of fire, the wind, all that kind of stuff. It wasn't for 12. It was for the 120 plus. The crowds outside heard their own languages given by the 120, who were mostly Galileans and Judeans. How do you think they heard? The Holy Spirit was given, not just to the 120, but to all flesh. Joel predicted it, Jesus promised it, and it happened. It was not for one generation only. It was not for a group of special people. It was for all people, for all time, till the end of the age. And if anybody tries to tell you otherwise, tell them to show you where it is in the Bible, because I can promise you it isn't in there. Jesus himself made the promise to you that the Spirit would dwell in you. He said, the Father the Holy Spirit and I would come to dwell in you. Do you think he would have said that and said, yeah, but after the first generation's gone, I'm going to take the spirit away from you. Does that sound like the God you know? It's not the God I know. And I don't see it in scripture. Jesus did not say that. It was promised that the spirit would pour, be poured out to all flesh for this age. That's the age that we're living in, guys. It only changes when Jesus returns. Paul mentions that some of the gifts, I think Janita will be preaching on this next week, some of the gifts will cease. The one that won't cease is love. The gifts were given, the gift was given, the Holy Spirit was given to us all when Jesus went to heaven. This is just my theory, but I think there's a lot more biblical evidence to this than the cessationists will give you. The Holy Spirit is dwelling amongst us while Jesus is in heaven. When will he not dwell in us? If at all, when Jesus returns. I think when Paul said that the gifts would fade out apart from love, he was talking of when Jesus returns. Do we need those gifts when Jesus isn't here? Yes. Will we need those gifts when Jesus returns? Possibly not. So in my personal view, and I'm willing to take up anybody biblically on this, those gifts are here until Jesus returns. And they're for all of us. I'm going to take a look at those gifts, but I want you to know that the Holy Spirit dwells within you, whether you know it or not. And I'm not just talking about the church, guys. Jesus did not say the church is going to receive the Holy Spirit. He didn't say you 12 are going to receive the Holy Spirit. He said all flesh. Now, to me, that's believer and non-believer. You may have a problem with that. But show me in the Bible where it says anything different. 
The Holy Spirit is given to all flesh. My personal belief is that as believers, we become aware of that spirit and we allow the spirit to work within us. We operationalize the spirit. Horrible word. We activate the spirit within us. Non-believers, for the most part, don't do that because they're not aware that the spirit is there. The spirit, in effect, is dormant within them. But God doesn't just love the church. He loves all flesh. His spirit is given to all flesh, but some might be saved. So we'll take a look at those gifts, but keep in mind, as we do, I want you to be aware that there are people in this congregation, many of us, who operate in these gifts right now. We have seen miracle healings. We speak in tongues. We have spoken prophecies. This is all for now. It's for the age that we live in. It's happening. And you too can operate in these gifts. The choice is yours, not God's. The gift is given. Will you use it? Mark gave you the challenge. Thanks, Mark. You gave me part of the preach. And I guess you gave me the rest in the songs. Thanks. <laughs> I could actually just go back to my seat now. Just We could have some prayer. Okay, before I look at the gifts, I just want to say to you that there are some amongst us, I know many I've spoken to, who feel that there's a fresh wind blowing here. I don't know about you, but sometimes you just feel it. I felt it in the service today, in amongst that beautiful worship. Did you feel the wind? There's a fresh wind blowing, the ruach. The breath of God is breathing afresh into this body of believers. Even if you don't sense it in your spirit, you can observe it with your senses. You can look with your eyes. You can listen with your ears. See what's happening amongst us. Diane and I have only been here four years, but we have seen amazing change in this congregation in that four years. We have seen this congregation becoming a community. It's a journey we're on, guys, and, you know, we can't claim to be there, but we are going there. Look at what's happening. I mean, um, it was Robin said it before. What was it? 75% of the church are engaged in activities of some kind. Do you know what the standard statistic for a church is? Less than 10% of its members active. 10% of the membership generally is kind of a good figure, volunteering, doing things. 90% sitting on their hands. We got 75%, guys. That's amazing. That's almost a miracle in itself. Hmm. Okay, I'm going to declare in advance I believe in miracles. I've seen them. I don't have any doubts. So Pentecost, this wonderful gift is given. So keep in mind that the gift is the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at some gifts. It's kind of like the big gift is the Holy Spirit. And then my wife does this when she makes gifts for people. She makes like a huge box that's got multiple wrappings on it. And then 
when they open the box, there are multiple gifts inside and they have to open each one. And I believe that's what God is like with us. The gift is the Holy Spirit. And those little gifts that we pull out of the box and have to unravel are these gifts that Paul is talking about. And I'd like to say that these are not, it's not an exclusive list. He's talking about particular gifts in a particular church at a particular time. It doesn't mean the gifts are limited to just these things we're going to be discussing. You look around at the people that you know and the things that they do, the gifts that are at work in them. I think they go beyond this list. But we're going to take a look at them. So the Holy Spirit has been given to us And because of that, there are certain gifts that are identified here that are available to us. The purpose of those gifts is to see the kingdom of God come on earth. We pray that in the Lord's Prayer. Let your will be done. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's the purpose of the gifts. If we were to think that we could do that, bring the kingdom of heaven to earth without the power of the Holy Spirit, I think we'd be kidding ourselves. I'm sure if I was to ask you, and I don't want you to put your hands up, at some stage in your Christian walk, have you tried to do this on your own? (laughs) I could put my hand up a dozen times. I don't know what it is about humanity, but... um, we, we kind of fall back on our own strength so much. God will reveal something to us. We'll see a need. We'll think we have to jump in. Maybe we should. Maybe we shouldn't. Who knows? But we jump in and we try to do it in our own strength. If that need is an extended one, I defy any of us to fulfill that need without burning ourselves out. You see it in most Christians, and I'm sure Becky and John could give us multiple witnesses and testimonies about good, faithful Christians who have burnt themselves out trying to do what they believe is God's will. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. In most cases, let's accept that it is God's will. If we try to do that purely in our own physical and mental strength, we are almost bound to burn out. That's the reality of who we are human beings. It's no criticism of an individual that one is more powerful, is stronger than the other mentally, physically, or whatever. Ultimately, we all burn out if we don't use the power of the Holy Spirit. He is given so that we can fulfill what otherwise would be impossible. Just think back to the Sermon on the Mount for a moment. Jesus kind of gives us this wonderful description of what it is to be one of his followers. And we all go, (laughs) I can't do that. You you kind of look at it point by point and you think, I'm not sure I could even hit one of those points, much less all of them. And the truth is we can't without the Holy Spirit. That's why he's given. He's given to give us the power of transformation and the power to do the things of heaven, the things of God here on the earth now. So to try and do these things without him is kind of courageous, maybe a little bit foolish. 
Uh, and I'm sure daddy doesn't look down and say, you stupid idiot. I'm sure it's more like, oh, you poor thing. I've given you this beautiful tool that will allow you to do it. And you're trying to do it with your bare hands. I'm sure many of us will find that when we get to heaven. We get a big hug off Jesus and he'll say, so why did you try to do that alone? <laughs> I gave you the Holy Spirit. And we're just going to have to confess, aren't we? Sorry, got it wrong again. <laughs> But we're in good company. Simon Peter. I love Simon Peter. He's my companion. I do things like him wrong all the time. Okay, so let's take a look at these gifts. And then when we've looked at them, I want us to do what Mark said. I want us to think about the availability of these gifts. I'm going to pray. And I want you to try to be aware of the gifts that you've been given. God has scattered these gifts amongst us. So you won't have all of the gifts. I won't have all of the gifts. Thankfully, no, none of us have all of the gifts. And there's a purpose behind that. God wants us to work together as the body of Christ. And I'm sure that's why he scatters them amongst us, because if we don't work together, it doesn't work. And I'll give you some examples a little later. Okay, so let's take a look at these gifts. Excuse my broken glasses. Um, I'm working on a farm at the moment. This is what happens when you work on a farm. (laughs) I broke these glasses and I thought, that's okay. I've got my reading glasses. And they fell out of my pocket on the farm in crops that are this high. So if anybody has a word of knowledge about where my glasses are, (laughs) I'd be very grateful. (laughs) Okay, so just before we, we look at the gifts themselves... One little point about um, what Paul is doing here. As with all the other messages that you've heard recently uh, from Corinthians, he's correcting error and he's doing the same with the gifts. So there's, there's something that's worth kind of bringing out in that. He says that he acknowledges that the gifts are in abundance in the church of Corinth. So he's not saying you need these gifts, guys. He's acknowledging that they exist. The church has them. The problem is they're not using them correctly. So as with the other messages, he's trying to give them a little bit of correction and say this is how they should be worked. So the gifts are in the church, guys. We just need to use them properly. So let's have a look. The first gift that he mentions uh, is the gift of wisdom. Now, the Greek word for that is Sophia. Do we have any Sophias in the congregation today? No, no Sophia. I mean, what a blessing to be given a name like that, Sophia, wisdom. I don't think there's a male counterpart to it. So what is wisdom? I want to counter this one with the next one he talks about, which is the gift of the word of knowledge, because you've got the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. And when you first hear about these things, it's like, I don't get it. What's the difference? Isn't knowledge and wisdom, aren't they kind of the same thing? But they're given us two very distinct things here. So wisdom, I propose, is the counsel of heaven. It's not human wisdom. We may gain a little wisdom and experience in our lives, but that's not the wisdom it's talking about. It's talking about the wisdom of heaven, the wisdom of God. So this is when in all your experience and your worldly works, 
all of a sudden, God gives you a piece of wisdom that did not come out of your experience. It's not something you have learned through life. It's something that's given as a gift. Because remember, these are gifts. So God gives you this little gift of wisdom in a certain situation. And you're like, afterwards, wow, that was impressive. I didn't know I knew that. Have you ever had one of those moments? You know, you're with somebody and they have a a difficulty and you're thinking, oh, my God, I can't help out here. And then all of a sudden out of you comes this amazing wisdom that, you know, is not out of your brain. It's coming from somewhere else. And the problem is resolved or enabled for this person. And you're thinking, wow, that was impressive. It wasn't me. That's the wisdom of God that you've been given in the moment for a very particular purpose is to help somebody out. All of these gifts, incidentally, are for the encouragement of the body and for the uplifting of the body. So they're not there to make us feel good. So wisdom, excuse me. Um, We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, 1 Corinthians 2, 7. So that's the wisdom that we're being spoken of. God has revealed them to us through his spirit, for the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. So the spirit searches all things to bring out the wisdom in that particular scenario. And it may be that you do have the wisdom in your brain somewhere, in your experience. And maybe the Holy Spirit will try and draw on that wisdom if it's available. But God can only use what you already have in your life unless he gives it to you in the moment. And that's where the wisdom of God comes in. Now, let's compare that with knowledge. Uh, Gnosis is the uh, Greek term for that. This is the understanding of earthly things rather than heavenly. So in this case, it could be that you are trying to work through some problem and there is some knowledge that you need that is earthly knowledge. It's not the wisdom of God. It's knowledge that's already available to you. I just mentioned it. Maybe it's there in your brain already. And the the Holy Spirit can just inspire that little piece of knowledge for you that it's there and you can do what's needed in the moment. So it's wisdom from heaven is kind of like revelation that you didn't have before, whereas knowledge is pre-existing. It's the knowledge that is here now on the earth. And you can use that knowledge inspired by the Holy Ghost. Both are from God. One imparts revelation, the other understanding. The next one that's mentioned is faith. We all know what faith is, but this is the gift of faith. The gift that you need to believe in what you're being called to do. Sometimes God gives us something to do and we think, hey, that's impossible. I I can't do that. Uh, I think maybe James and Renata are probably feeling that about now. I know Diane and I are, and I'm sure there are more 
uh, amongst us where God gives us a vision to complete a work and you're thinking, whoa, I can't do that. I don't have the funds. I don't have the resources. I don't have the abilities because the things I need to do are way beyond my personal experience. But in order to complete them, we need the gift of faith. We already have faith in God, faith in the blood of Christ, faith in the fact that the Holy Spirit has been given, but we're presented with a task that is beyond our ability to do. If God wants us to complete that task, then he needs to give us that gift of faith that says, come on, you can believe for this because it's not down to you, it's down to me. I'm the one who will complete this. You're just partnering with me in it. That's the gift of faith we need to overcome in these huge, apparent huge projects that God gives us. We think of those projects actually in terms of God and what he's doing globally. We can see that they shrink in size and the giants become like locusts. Okay, the next one is healings. So these are miraculous, supernatural healings. We're not talking about uh, the normal healing given by a doctor or a nurse um, through medicine. And I'm not saying that God can't use those things. I'm sure he does all the time. But this is supernatural healing. This is where somebody is given that amazing gift of faith to say, this person is not going to die. This person is going to live and prosper because God has told me so. And they can declare it out over somebody and that person lives and you think, wow. And it's not in the hands of the person who proclaimed the healing. Um, I have a, uh, a niece, uh, sorry, a cousin in Ireland who uh, I prayed for and, and she was healed. And she came out with all this superstitious stuff about, you know, me having healing hands and nonsense. Um, it wasn't me who healed her. It was God who healed her. I just proclaimed the healing that he had declared. And I think it's important for us to realize that when you see miracles happening, we don't look at the person who's doing it apparently on the earth. That's not the origin of the, the miracle. It's not the origin of the healing. That's with God. It's the faith of somebody to proclaim what they're hearing from God. So healings are one of the miracles. The other one, um, Paul then goes on to talk about gifts of miracles. So he's dealt with healings. They're miraculous, but he's now talking about other kinds of miracles. And the kinds of miracles he's talking about are things like um, dealing with demons, delivering somebody from demons, raising somebody from the dead, all the kind of things that you saw or read about Jesus doing are things that you and I can do. Do you believe that? Good, because he said it. He said, all the things I have done, you will do and more. So we are not limited by saying, Jesus can do that, but little old me can't. That might sound like humility, but that's a lack of faith. That's a lack of trust in God. Because he has told you, you will do all of these things and more. So the miracles that we read about Jesus doing are available to be done by any one of us who has the gift. 
That gift is available through the Holy Spirit, and I am convinced that that gift is here in abundance in this congregation. We just need to see it. The next one he deals with is prophecy. And uh, in the church, this is often dismissed as teaching. Sorry, guys, I don't believe that. Prophecy is prophecy. If he, if, he said, if he was going to say it's teaching, he'd have said teaching. I believe the cessationists who try to um, demystify God and take the miraculous out of what we believe, I think that's lack of faith. I think they're not believing what's written in the Bible. If it had meant to be teaching, it would have been written as teaching. It's not. It's prophecy. Prophecy is proclaiming forth what God is saying. Now, you can claim that that's, I've studied this passage and that I'm now teaching it to you, so I'm proclaiming God's word. Yes, in a limited way. I don't believe that's prophetic at all. Prophetic is when it's inspired by God. So when I study the passage and God gives me revelation and I speak that revelation out to you, that is prophecy. Not simply my own mind, my own reasoning. That's not prophetic. That's pathetic. I'm not putting down study. I love to study, and most teachers do. We gain more out of the Bible from studying in preparation for a sermon than we do at any other time. It's a wonderful thing to do. But the study prepares us to speak out. And what we should be speaking out is revelation from God. And if we are listening to the Holy Spirit while we are preparing, we will have more to give you than just exegesis. A teacher, uh, an academic can give you exegesis. You can get plenty on the internet. I don't know about you, but I do not want exegesis. I want to hear the living word of God. It's available. It's profit. Sometimes in that prophecy, we will hear things about the future. Um, Diane and I once encountered a true prophet here on the earth. You have people who work in the gifts of prophecy, and then you have the prophetic, the prophet, the office of prophet. If you've ever met one, you'll know it's the scariest thing on the earth. You do not want to be within hearing distance, speaking distance of somebody who is a prophet because they read your mail. They know everything about you without having met you. And that is very scary. We once encountered this guy who had a tremendous gifting in the prophetic and he frightened the living daylights out of us. He knew everything about our marriage, about our lives. He could tell us everything about our past and our present. And then the scary bit is, of course, he can tell you about the future too. And in our experience, God often works that way. He'll he'll give you things in threes. Past, present, and future. The past and the present are to confirm to you that it's God. He knows you. And then the future is so you'll know when it happens, it was God who told you. And the true test of prophecy, guys, is what? It happens. Yeah. 
If it doesn't happen, you know it wasn't a prophet. So prophecy is one of the gifts that's available to the church, and some of you here have it. There's the logos, the written word, which we all have, and then there's the rhema, the spoken word. And that's the fresh revelation that I want to hear. The next one is discerning of spirits. This sounds a bit kind of weird and people kind of can freak out on this one, but it's really very simple. Do you accept that we are both physical and spiritual beings? Yep, good. I'm glad you do. (laughs) Otherwise, we'd have to go right back to Christianity 101. So we are both physical beings and spiritual beings. So the discerning of spirits is about knowing that spirit that is speaking, that is operating at the time. And that spirit could be either the human spirit, the fleshly spirit. It could be the spirit of God, or it could be a demonic spirit. So they're the kind of three areas of spirituality that might be at work in any spoken word, in any person at any time. So this gift of discerning, which is vital to the church, is to know that when somebody is speaking, is this just his own thinking? Is this man's spirit? Is this truly the spirit of God that's at work? Or is this an evil spirit? Is this something else? And one of the things that uh, Paul mentions in this passage is that you will know if it's the spirit of God Because only inspired by the Spirit of God can you say Jesus is Lord. And if you say Jesus is accursed, that's not the Spirit of God. Fairly obvious, isn't it? So the the discerning of spirits is not as complicated or as spooky or as mystical as it sounds. It's the ability to know in the moment when you're speaking with somebody, when you're confronting somebody with somebody one-to-one, is this just their humanity speaking? Is this God speaking through this person? Is it another spirit speaking through this person? And we as the body of Christ need to know that difference. Especially we've got um, people coming and going all the time, as has been said. You get into conversations with people. I mean, Diane and I at the moment are struggling with a, a new age person who is a lovely, lovely person. But we need to be able to discern when she's speaking to us, whether that spirit is coming from this new age thing, whether it's just her human spirit, or whether God is actually speaking through her. Because let's not forget, God can speak through anybody, not just Christians. God can use anyone. He can use a donkey. He can use an unbeliever. So let's not miss what God is saying because we only expect it to come through a believer. It can be otherwise, but we need that discernment to know the difference. Different kinds of tongues and then the interpretation of tongues. Um, There's a whole variety of things going on here. On the day of Pentecost, you had all of the known languages of the people that were there being spoken by the 120 And you had all of the listeners hearing their languages. 
That's a very specific form of tongues because they're hearing human languages. Tongues can be in human languages or the languages of heaven. They're very different and they have very different purposes. Um, I may have said this to some of you before, but um, we had a mentor back in England um, who was from South Africa, a wonderful guy uh, named Canon Carl Garner. We were part of the Abbey uh, in those days. And he was teaching us how to work in the gifts. And uh, at one point, he told us about the, the first time tongues had occurred in his church in South Africa. And he was frightened, witless, that tongues was about to break out in his church. He had the sense that things were changing, that people were receiving the Holy Spirit. And he was frightened that somebody would speak out in tongues in his church because he knew if it's spoken out in the congregation, it has to have an interpretation. Otherwise, who does it benefit? It only benefits the person who speaks. Paul says, I'd rather have 10 words spoken in the common language than 10,000 in tongues when he's in a teaching situation, when he's in the congregation, which is quite right. So Carl was afraid that this would happen. And then because he was the priest in charge, that he would have to interpret and he wasn't confident that he could do so. And one day in church, this woman he knew to be spirit-filled stood up and Carl's shaking in his boots. Oh, my God, this is it. This is the moment. And she begins to speak, and he thinks, oh, thank God for that. It's Afrikaans. And he thinks, half of my church can speak Afrikaans and the other can't, so I'll have to interpret for them. So she speaks, he interprets, everything's fine, he's calm. He goes to the door of the church to shake hands as everybody's leaving, and this woman and her husband, uh, they're Boers, uh, Boer farmers. They, they come to Carl, and the guy's a bit like Brian, you know, like this. And Carl says, oh, I'm so glad um, I was able to interpret your Afrikaans for the rest of the church. And this big farmer says, Pastor, that were not Afrikaans. <laughs> and Carl is, of course it was. I heard it. I'm Afrikaans. That was not Afrikaans. And Carl had to confess that he just interpreted a tongue without even knowing he'd done it. And I think sometimes that's how the Holy Spirit works. When it's a, a common language, a language of the earth, that he needs somebody to hear, he'll give the interpretation, but you won't be kind of hearing this mystical language and translating it in your head. I believe it's like Carl said, that you will think you understand and you'll give it and then realize, actually, you didn't understand at all. The difference was you were given a key, the Holy Spirit, the key to interpretation. Um, one of his friends at the University of the Rand went on to scientifically prove it for him. Um, it was an early incident of tongues being spoken. And the um, languages department heard about it and asked for permission to come and record some of tongues being spoken in the church. So Carl got the permission of the congregation, allowed the postgrad students to come in, record the whole thing, take it back again. And then their task as their postgrad um, dissertation was to break, crack the code, translate this language, none of them being believers, of course. And they worked as teams to try and do this. And ultimately, they came back to their professor and said, we know this is language. We, we, we can 
we can see it, we can hear it, we can break it down, but you've filtered something out, haven't you? You've filtered the key out. We need the key to translate this. Give it to us and we can translate it. And then he confessed that what it was was speaking in tongues and that the key was the Holy Spirit. (laughs) And I'm sure that that's how it works in tongues. But we, we hear of tongues being used in several different ways. So this one was where it was translated, interpreted into the languages that the people needed to hear. And I'm sure that still happens today. Uh, it's not so common, but uh, there are incidents where people will uh, give a tongue, have a translation, and then you'll get somebody from China or wherever come up and say, that was in my language. Um, that's astonishing when it happens. But tongues is also sometimes given just for your own edification. Um, I got the gift of tongues um, many years ago. I had an intellectual problem with tongues. Um, People were speaking in tongues around me. Um, My my wife had the gift of tongues and I didn't. And I was like, it's useless. I mean, what's the point of the gift? I can see the gift of miracles and healings and this kind of stuff. It, It does stuff for people. It helps them. What does tongues do? Dismissive. And um, somebody prayed for me, a group of people prayed for me one time, and I got this one repeating word, and I dismissed it as being nonsense, absolute nonsense. Uh, The word that was being repeated was koram, 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 doesn't mean a thing. At the time, I had a Christian radio show in the UK, and um, I used to go into the local Christian music store regularly to check if there's new music so I could play it on my show. And uh, I went into the, the radio, uh, the music store, knowing that it was b- before there were any new deliveries, which is kind of stupid. Um, I knew when the deliveries came and there wouldn't have been any new deliveries. So why did I go in? No idea. Opened the door and the young guy who was the manager of the store was the far end of the store. And he said, hey, Vic, look, we got a new album in. And it said, Coram Deo. For those who don't know the meaning, it's in the presence of God. (laughs) It's like God saying, I'm going to blow your academia out of your head here. Coram Deo. And from that moment on, I could speak in tongues. The mental problem was pushed out of the way by God's glory. So what I found, incidentally, this useless gift that I thought of, that is that I could pray for hours. I don't know about you, praying in my own language After an hour or two, I've had it. I've given up. (laughs) What more is there to say? I can't think of anything else to say. If I switch into tongues, I'm praying out something that I don't have any real understanding of. But what happens is, in my spirit, I'm suddenly inspired to start praying more. And I'll pray about a topic that I hadn't thought about because it came up in tongues. And then I'll pray it in English. And then I'll carry on in tongues. And that will inspire me to pray something else. And you can pray for hour after hour after hour. And that's how you are edified. It's a prayer language. It's wonderful. It's also a worship language. Um, One of the most wonderful worship experiences I ever had was in St. Albans Abbey on Pentecost Sunday. Uh, The abbey was filled with about 3,000, I think, uh, believers, mostly spirit-filled. It was Church of England, so it was all these robes and choirs and all that kind of stuff. 
And in the midst of all of this, the Holy Spirit started to conduct worship, completely separate from what was going on on the platform. And you had this awesome wave of singing that began at the back of the abbey and crescendoed at the front. And it was like it bounced off the platform and it went back again all the way. And it did this several times. And it was this just this magnificent, almost angelic singing that was going on. And those on the platform were wise enough to just allow it to continue. It was wonderful. And it had effects. Um, somebody who was in dire circumstances way in back of the, uh, the abbey was delivered from those circumstances shortly afterwards. So it wasn't just for our pleasure that it occurred, but in that we were edified and somebody was saved. So tongues are a great thing. And I repent of ever saying that it was um, a useless gift. I want to give you some examples of the gifts in action. And um, I could think of myriad um, witnesses and testimonies that we've had in our own personal lives. But what I've tried to do is just to wrap them all up into one for you. So all of these things that I'm weaving into this thread actually happened, but not all at the same time. But it's just an example of how the gifts work. So a word of wisdom was given. And this word of wisdom was the revealed plan for an individual that required somebody to be in a certain place at a particular time. And some of you may have experienced this. So that was the word of wisdom. I want you to be here at this time in this place to meet with somebody. The person with the faith to go, and that was the next thing, was the gift of faith had to be operated, was able to, or was willing to go to this place, which was a long journey, to meet a total stranger that they didn't even know who it was going to be. When that total stranger turned up, then a word of knowledge was given. And that word of knowledge was an insight into the stranger's life. As a result of that, a word of prophecy was given, which was there to deliver that person from a set of circumstances in their life. And the discerning of spirits was there to help the Christian to realize what was preventing the salvation of this person. And it was the discerning of spirits that showed the obstacle. That resulted in a prayer for healing, and the person was delivered and became a Christian. Now, that is not just one person at work. That's the gift at work in a number of people in order for that to happen. And it happens frequently. Those gifts are at work amongst people who are willing to use them. I'll give you one more example and I'll close. Um, I was the associate pastor for a while in a church in the UK. And before I became pastor, I was just a teacher in the place. And if you'd asked me, that was my calling to be a teacher. And then a wolf was set free amongst the sheep. I won't go into the details, but in doing that, something arose in me that would not let it happen. 
And because the senior pastor was not able to do anything, I stepped up to protect the flock from the wolf. In that moment, I was given the pastoral gift. I was not a pastor up until that point. I then helped to pastor that church for years. And if anybody wants to talk about it later, happy to do so. Diane will be the witness for you. But just to conclude, these gifts are given for the encouragement and the edification of the body. We all have them and we need to activate those gifts. Now, I've heard preachers pray prayers of activation. Um, I don't believe that's actually valid. Bless their hearts. I'm sure they do. But it's down to us to activate a gift. The gift is given by the Holy Spirit. Activation means using it. So, you know, you've got the gift. You can sit on it. You can do nothing with it. That sounds to me like somebody in the parable of talents who didn't do anything with what he was given. But if we choose to use the gift, it becomes active. It's us that makes the choice. So I just want to pray a quick prayer that invites the Holy Spirit to fill us all afresh with that specific purpose as in Pentecost, that the gifts would be activated in us, not by him, but by us. We need to be aware of the gift that we have. We need to be aware of the gift that others have around us so that we can work in those gifts. And I think this is the challenge that maybe Mark gave us before. Over the coming days, weeks, months, years, we need to identify the gifts in ourselves and the gifts in each other so we can work together as one body. That's the purpose of the church. So that will be my prayer. So as I pray, would you just receive what the Holy Spirit is revealing in you about your own gifting and then pledge yourself to use that gift for the body of Christ. And let's see what happens in the coming days, weeks, months, years. So, Father, I thank you that on this day, 2,000 years ago, you released the Holy Spirit as you had promised, and you gifted your people with the Holy Spirit, that you poured out your gifts amongst your people that they might encourage one another edify one another, and be the body of Christ on the earth. I pray for us as a church, as a congregation, that you would release us, you would help us to activate those gifts within us, that we might glorify you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.